Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. In this episode, I'm talking to Sean Penrod, creator and host of MTG Pro Tutor. Sean is dedicated to distilling down all the best tips from the pros and sharing them with the community with a goal of sending 1,000 players to the Pro Tour. Sean has over 180 episodes where he interviews elite Magic players like Patrick Chapin, John Finkel, Conley Woods, Paul Rietzel, Ari Lax, Michael Majors, Pascal Maynard, and Reed Duke. The list goes on and on. Sean shares with us his favorite tips for getting better at magic and cultivating a mindset for success in both life and mtg i hope you enjoy my conversation with sean penrod hey everyone thanks for joining me for kitchen table magic i'm your host sam tang and today i'm here with a very special guest sean penrod sean how are you doing great how are you today i'm doing fantastic sean and where are you joining us from currently i live in utah right in the middle Oh, very good. And I'm here in Seattle, Washington. And uh, you had a pretty good day? Yeah, it was great. I had two interviews for the podcast and it's nice to be on the other side for once. That's fantastic. Well, I am really excited to have you here. Um, as our guests may or may not know, Sean is the host of the successful podcast MTG Pro Tutor, and you have some wonderful content. You go out and you interview almost all the top eight pros from any Pro Tour or GP, and you dissect and deconstruct what makes them great at magic. Yeah, it's been a really fun ride. I love being able to reach out and connect with these pros and these players and just show people that, you know, they all started somewhere and the things that you're struggling with in Magic, they struggle with too. Absolutely. And I think it's fascinating. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while because, you know, you're bringing such a unique service and such a unique piece of content to the Magic community. It's a facet of MTG strategy content that I don't think is covered very easily in um, written articles. Yeah, I mean, the whole premise of it was I didn't see any of the podcasts that regularly had these pro players on. And so I figured, hey, you know, let's uh, let's fill that space and see what we can do there. That's great. Sean, I wanted to start from the very beginning. Where did you grow up and when did you start playing Magic? Sweet. So let's see, I kind of grew up all over. My dad was in the Navy when I was younger. And so just kind of, you know, born in Virginia and then lived in Florida and Washington State and then Japan and then back to Florida and then California. And then when we were in California, up in Northern California, uh, let's see, I was probably, I don't know, 12, 13, somewhere in there. And a friend of ours, ours being my brother and I, introduced us to Magic. And so uh, it was there that I played for the first time. I clearly remember uh, the Weatherlight saga. You know, I remember Tempest and Stronghold, like those cards. And I remember being at my friend's house, I sleep over or whatever, and, you know, playing Magic on the floor and casting Fireball and like, you know, bouncing it between targets and doing stuff. So uh, that's that's when I came in back in, I think I've done the math before, it's around 97-ish. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was the first time that I remember playing Magic. So when did you decide that you wanted to get better at Magic? Oh, man. Well, that was probably, oh, I don't know three, I guess time flies four, maybe years ago. Yeah, I came back to, so, you know, as many people, I had a big old gap. So I played while I was there in California and then we moved away. And for some reason it just didn't, you know, dawn on us that we could continue playing magic without our friends. <laughs> we could go find a store <laughs> or whatever. So I fell out for many, many, many years. I had a brief stint during future side that I came and played for like three months and then I fell out again. And I came back when I moved to Southern California, when I was in the Navy, uh, a friend of mine got me back into it. 
Um, and he and his brother would play like EDH and whatnot. And so he kind of got me into that. And so I just started kind of casually doing EDH. I went to my first draft with him and it was new Phyrexia was my first draft ever. Um, but I, so I, I came in hard on, uh, Innistrad and I loved it. I thought the flavor was amazing. And it was probably a little after that. I know that the first deck, like standard deck that I saw that I was like, oh my gosh, like, I really, really, really want to play that deck was a Jeskai Ascendancy deck that just went all bonkers with, you know, untapping stuff and going crazy and swinging in for yeah. people and whatnot. It was really cool. Uh, so that's when I, that's when I built the standard deck and then went to FNM and started going regularly. So up until then, I've just been doing casual drafts and just kind of building EDH decks, you know, all through the Innistrad period. And so I guess it would, would have been there. So Jeskai Ascendancy was, what cons was that the first set yeah i think so, so yeah yep so that that's when i started taking magic seriously and wanted to you know be like a competitive player that is so cool you started your site mtg pro tutor and you have this wonderful podcast you've interviewed a ton of people and i just even want to rattle off some of the names of these people we have pascal maynard we have reed duke matt sperling patrick shapen we've got oliver too mike turian gabriel nasif we have Raphael levy brian brown doing alexander hayne kenji agashira randy Bueller, Conley Woods, John Finkel, Paolo Vitor, Domino Rosso. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You know, what was really your impetus for wanting to start something like this? We always hear that the best way to play, to get better at magic is to play with people who are better than you. Uh, and so w- what you can do, you can find people at your store. And so I was like, oh, you know, but the best people to play with are the pros. Now, we might not be able to play with the pros all the time, but next to that is being able to talk to them and pick their brains. And that's kind of the angle that I came at it from. I was like, you know, I would love to talk with them, see what are they doing? I originally approached it as, is there some kind of secret sauce, right? Are they doing something that we're not doing, you know? And and obviously over all the interviews, not really, other than, you know, some of them have maybe a higher dedication level than we do and um, maybe a little more discipline when it comes to practicing play testing and and whatnot but i mean the vast majority of them don't do magic full-time you know they have lives families jobs that they are still good at magic even though they have these other things going on and so uh but that was the impetus that that's where it came from was you know if we can't play with the pros then let's at least sit down and talk with them and so that's kind of how i started it that's really fascinating and sean what are some of the three things that you hear over and over again from talking to these pros Sure. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is for tournament days, uh, nutrition and whatnot. So sleeping, water, and snacks, like those, uh, those pop up a lot, uh, which I remember the first person who mentioned that was actually Paul Rietzel. Uh, and he was the first one who mentioned something outside of magic that helped him in magic. He would always try and go for a run on the mornings of a tournament or whatever so that he could wake up, so he can get some endorphins flowing. And he was the first one to mention, again, you know, some physical activity that helped him inside magic. And then after that, you know, we've had a lot of people mention the water and the snacks and whatnot. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, another thing is luck and not blaming it. <laughs> like understanding that variance exists. It is a part of magic, but you can't, you cannot blame, you know, luck, right? Like you have to be able to identify what you could have done better, even if it goes all the way back to, you know, your mulligan decision uh, or even your deck selection for the event, you know? Now, sometimes, and nobody has probably ever played a perfect game, but sometimes you have really done your best and you really feel like you played the best lines or whatever. Um, and it just came down to your opponent, top decked, whatever that does happen. You know, it is magic, but that instance happens. So like few and far between where you could have done nothing. There's almost always something you could have done. So uh, not blaming luck is the second thing that uh, we always hear a lot. Mm-hmm. Let's see the third one. What comes to mind? Um, playing with people who are better than you, actually kind of coming kind of full circle back to that. Um, I like to talk to people, how they get ready for events, what they do and things like that. And it always comes back to that, you know, finding people, surrounding yourself with people 
who have similar goals and who are at or a higher level than you and just playing magic with them and, and talking, getting feedback after games. We hear that a lot. And uh, those are those are three big things I think that pop up a lot. Yeah, that's really awesome. So number one is uh, doing the nutrition thing, getting your body ready. So in a sense, priming yourself for that big tournament. And then the second thing is extreme ownership, uh, taking ownership of the decisions that we make, not necessarily in the situations that are absolutely we can't do anything about that. That's that's top decking, that's variance, but asking ourselves, hey, what, what could I have done there, right? Taking extreme right. ownership. And the third one is playing with people that are better than we are. And so that's just gaining access to our blind spots. Yes. Looking for things that we are not aware of and looking for things that we need help in that we have not maybe admitted to ourselves. And so right. I think those are all incredibly powerful. And those are also incredibly powerful lessons that I think that we can uh, apply to life and entrepreneurship and other things. Yes, totally agree. Totally agree. And on that last one, uh, what comes to mind is no man is an island, right? And that's even more true, or especially true in magic, where nobody gets anywhere without the help of other people. So when you say seeing, you know, helping getting eyes on our blind spots, I think that's a really, really good way of putting it. Because what's beneficial is when you're talking with other people, hey, what do you think of my deck? What about my cyborg? When you play against somebody and you ask them about their deck, okay, what makes you feel on the back foot with your deck and, and kind of going through all that? By talking with people, you gain access to, you know, more knowledge and, and that you wouldn't ha- be able to gain on your own. So you, there's definitely no way that anybody can succeed in magic by themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking to Rich Hagen not too long ago and I asked him, you know, you're around the best of the best in the world. What do you normally see? And he says that there's always an opportunity to learn that when someone says I'm not going to be learning anymore, they've really cut off something from themselves. So that's wonderful, Sean, that you're able to really sit down and talk with these pros about what makes a difference for them. And then also, MTG Pro Tutor has a very awesome mission, which is to send a thousand players to the Pro Tour. That is right. I, uh, I'm i really excited and passionate about that. I would love to help 1,000 players qualify for the Pro Tour. If I'm one of those, that's awesome, but I don't have to be, you know, but, uh, you know, that's the goal. And that's why I'm bringing people on the show and coming up with other other ways to address, you know, the magic education space. That's really wonderful. I love that you've set yourself up for just brilliant success because, you know, what gets measured gets managed and you give yourself this really big, ambitious goal. And then really, to me, that's the only way that you're going to produce amazing content that you have done so far. How did you come up with this 1000 people to qualify for the Pro Tour idea? Uh, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> uh, that was that's. I did not have that at the outset. I'll tell you that. Um, and I know I've had it for a couple months. Uh, you know, maybe I don't, I don't even know, like six or so. But I've really started voicing it and putting it out there in the world. You know, uh, more actively quite recently. I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know. Like you know, because I, I was doing the content, I was doing the the, the podcast, and uh, I'm constantly thinking of how I can do it better. You know, I, I always love feedback from the audience of what questions they would like to hear, what parts are dull, uh, uh, just stuff like that. And like I said, I'm always thinking of other ways to kind of push the magic education space. And I don't know, like, uh, I don't think it was as pithy as uh, let's sit down and make a mission statement, but, <laughs> but it's not as flashy as it came to me in a bolt of lightning at night either. So just somewhere along the line, you know, I just determined, you know what, like this brand is about, you know, helping people improve. And like you said, how can we measure that? You know, I think, I think it was around the time that I was developing 
like a, I was, I put together a course called Level Up Your Magic: The Gathering Skill, and I got some of the past guests to contribute to the course and whatnot. And, and as I was putting this together, I realized, okay, like the goal of this is to get people to, you know, the next step. So wherever they are, whether they are, they go to Grand Prix, but they haven't made day two. Okay. Then the goal is to get you to day two. If you make day two of Grand Prix, we haven't made top eight. Okay. The goal is to get you to top eight. And so kind of realizing that that was kind of where this content was going is, is helping people take that next step. That's when I said, okay, well, that's the end goal. You know, like people want to make it to the pro tour. And so the mission of MTG pro tutor can be to get people there. So if you are serious about magic and you seriously want to make it, then MTG Pro Tutor will meet you where you're at and then give you those steps to make it to the next level and to go to the Pro Tour. And so that's uh, yeah, so somewhere along the lines, I came up with that. And then we always hear to set like big goals, like way out there, right? And uh, mm-hmm. so I was like, you know, like from where I am right now, a thousand, that's, I mean, that's a big number. That's like four digits. And it's like, all right, we'll set that number, a thousand people, we're going to get a thousand players. Cause I know there's more than a thousand players mm-hmm. out there, right? And so I was like, okay, so we'll do that. And you know what? When we hit it, then I'll set the next one, 10,000. I don't know. We'll figure something out. But right now, the goal is 1,000 people. And we just kind of came to it along the way. And, uh, and then here we are, you know, making that happen. I love always hearing about these really big goals. You know, intention setting is so important. And, you know, we don't have to rely and make that our expectation, but we can at least set that to be a goal and then we can work towards that goal. I do know that uh, I learned quite a while that when I am teaching someone to someone else, I'm also deepening my own understanding of it. And you have taken on the mantle of being one of the foremost pro content and pro strategy magic educators right now in the community. And so I wanted to ask you, what are some things that you've learned about yourself throughout this process of making MTG Pro Tutor? There are some, you know, technical things that I've learned, like what I'm good at, what what energizes me and what doesn't. For example, uh, show notes are not my thing. <laughs> I don't like sitting down and like, you know, crunching out words or whatever. Um, oh, and even more than that, the sound editing, not my thing. <laughs> oh, that drained me to no end. Um, so, uh, so I learned that about myself. That I'm glad that I went through it and I did it myself, so I know you know what goes into it and how to do it and whatnot. Um, but I also recognize, okay, I love talking to people. I love the process of you know bringing people on and getting to know them and doing that. But after that, I just wanted to drop the audio file somewhere and have it taken care of. And I am so blessed and so so grateful to the patrons of MTG Pro Tutor because of them, I'm able to you know hire out the sh- the editing and the show notes, and so I am able to record a show, drop it in Dropbox, and then you know, my team takes care of it. Uh, and so that's one thing that I learned is the things that, as far as the technical aspect, the things that I like, the things that I don't like, the things that fill me, the things that drain me. Uh, so that, that's been really cool to go on that journey. Um, what else have I learned about myself? I've learned that I struggle. I mean, I don't have a firm grasp on how to handle loss. Like I'm not like super bitter or whatever, but you know, when I do well and then I don't do well, I'm like, Ugh, you know, like it just, it's, I don't know. It hits me hard because I've kind of unnecessarily put a weight on myself where it's like, you know what? Like I host the MTG Pro Tutor podcast. Like I should know that I should, I should know the answers. I should be better than this, you know? And so I, I feel like if I do bad, people are going to be like, Oh man, like he's not that good at magic. His stuff must suck, you know? And that's not the case, right? And, mm-hmm. and uh, I've sometimes in the past, I've fallen into that trap and I take losses, you know, harder than I should. And so, you know, I've loved being able to talk to pros and then ask them, okay, how do you deal, you know, when you're going through a losing streak or how do you bounce back or, you know, uh, what have you done to overcome similar situations? Because, you know, it's it, it also helps me, like you said, like as you as you were teaching things, you also learn them. And so obviously I want to get this out to everyone um, so they can share it. Uh, but I also selfishly take on some of that information for me and, and try and learn. And so that's, uh, that's another thing that I learned is that you know, I have a long way to go, <laughs> that uh, my magic skill is not 
uh, where I want it to be. But and I have ups and downs, peaks and valleys along the way, just like everybody else. But you know, I know that I can get there, and that I have you know good uh, frame of reference with from all the conversations that I've had, and that uh, you know it's not the it's not the end of the world if I lose a match here or there. <laughs> yeah, I totally understand. I mean, I myself, I've been playing modern for almost seven years, and it's a grueling format because modern is. Uh, I'm sure all the legacy players are just laughing their asses off at me right now. But <laughs> modern is tough for me because it's like there's a lot going on and it's pretty powerful. But also, yeah. you know, me slowly building a modern deck uh, over the years, I built American Control with Geist of St. Traft. And then now I have uh, Jund. And so any black, green, rock, Jund, junk, things like that. And I've talked quite a bit on this podcast about how I need to start playing unfair decks and things like that. And I, I think I'm actually going to start building Abzan Company or like, you know, Malira Pod. Yes. Do it. Because it's an awesome deck. But the funny thing is that I've noticed that, uh, you know, when I'm really committed to being like, I'm going to come in and I'm going to win, I find that I do the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just get smashed. Yeah. And then when I sit down and I'm just like, you know what? I wasn't even going to show up here tonight and I'm just here to have fun. I do the best. And I also have a lot more fun. You know, it's... Yes. It's weird because like I hear about, you know, like Tony Robbins is always talking about being in like some kind of a peak flow state. And I'm always just wondering to myself, I was like, I wonder what the peak flow state for playing magic is like, what, you know, what do you do to sit down and, and get in that mindset when you just when all the draws are good. And then, you know, Sean, I wanted to ask you, do you have any rituals or superstitions or any kind of a prepping priming process that you do when you're about to sit down for a match? No, I don't have anything like, you know, that I always do or whatever. One thing that one thing that I really feel helps clear my mind, though, is I love being to events early, even if it's FNM. I do not like rolling in with seconds to spare and, you know, register, pay, sit down and play. I hate that. I like having my, you know, my tokens. And that's huge. I like having my tokens. I'm say that again. Like actual soldier tokens, plant tokens, whatever the heck I'm playing. If I'm, if I, if it's constructed, I know what tokens are in my deck. I know what I need. I always show up with those tokens. Uh, if it's limited, I have a box that has a little bit of everything, you know, from that particular limited environment so that. I can represent the board state accurately and I just like having tokens. I don't like having dice on the board. I think that's dumb. Um, anyways, uh, but then I, you know, and counters. So I do have my dice for counters, stuff like that. I like having my life pad, my, you know, my pen, uh, play mat. I like being prepared and that, that clears my mind. Cause I know if I just, if I have all that stuff in a bag, I, ca I call it my grab and go bag, right? My magic go bag. Um, if I just have my magic go bag ready, then I can grab it. I go to the store. I show up on time, you know, and I can sit down and play and I don't have to worry. Do I have this? Do I have that? So I don't do, you know, I don't like my heels three times and spin around before I sit down or anything like that. But <laughs> I do like being prepared for events and showing up early. And that really helps clear my mind and gets me relaxed so I can play. Oh, yeah. I do something kind of similar to that. I'm Sometimes I'm able to roll in right at... I just squeak right in because I have kind of a long commute. But other times I am able to get there early. But just like you said, Sean, I've got this magic go bag. My bag is always there. It's always got exactly what I need in it. No more, no less. And I just grab it and I go. Exactly. And you know what's actually interesting, Sean, is I've been experimenting a little bit with this idea. There are some events that I go and I sit down with nothing but a deck box and a piece of paper and a pen and I'm very Spartan about it so sometimes mm -hmm. I even take like an 8.5 by 11 I take two sheets 8.5 by 11 blank printer copier paper I fold it in half and then I fold it in half again so I've got four and then I've got eight on each side so that's like my entire 
you know, I just use every cube of that, right? So every square of that. I don't have a play mat. I don't have dice. I just rock. And sometimes I sit down and I feel so light and free, like it's impossible for me to forget about something. I'm not carrying this really heavy thing. I don't have mm-hmm. trades on me. And I'm just super focused. And and I find that for some people, they kind of see that and they get really intimidated. And I find that I play slightly better magic when I'm like that a little bit. Interesting. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. So the most recent time that happened to me, it was by accident. And so therefore I was frazzled and not, you know, so rather than going into it intentionally, uh, it was actually at the Ether Revolt pre-release um, because I had just moved to Utah. And so my go bag was not ready. Uh, I did have my limited box, you know, that I had my pre-sleeve lands already to go and I had it out in the desk. Um, but we were coming home late from something. And I literally dropped off the wife and kids and then went to the went to the store to make it on time for midnight or whatever. Um, and I, I didn't I didn't grab the go. I didn't grab the box or my play mat. So I literally just showed up with uh, what I have. I don't even know what I had. Uh, and luckily, one of one of uh, my listeners uh, was who's the one that told me about this store here in Utah. Um, he let me borrow sleeves. I didn't have any sleeves. And and uh, it was just it was just a mess. Um, however, if you go into it intentionally, I think that does make a world of difference for your mindset. So that's awesome that uh, you've been doing some experimenting. Yeah, I was reading a lot of different articles back in the day. And this was, uh, you know, before MTG Pro Tutor. So there wasn't like a place that I could go and listen to this stuff. But back in the day, I was just reading all these random articles. And I noticed one really interesting fact is a lot of um, pros, they attempt to uh, unload a lot of cognitive load from themselves. And that's why we talk a lot about heuristics and shortcuts and things like that. And that's why, you know, there's also the thought about, you know, playing quickly, playing to your lines, playing to your outs, things like that. And all of those things are shortcuts to prevent us from going through this infinite loop of, okay, what are all the iterations of attacks and blocks? Okay, what happens if I have this? What happens if I have that? Or what if I draw this? Or what if I don't draw that? It's just like, move, you know, you've only got 15 (laughs) minutes, you got to get going. And I was just like, oh, I get it. They're all trying to unload some of this cognitive load and try to lighten, you know, their thinking process. What if I tried to do that? Because I've always really worried about like, do I have the right things? Or what if I forget something? Or, you know, what are these? And what if a sleeve breaks? And I just one day I just decided to YOLO it. And I and it was really interesting because I was like, huh, I felt a lot lighter. Things were a little bit easier. I didn't take my losses as hard. My wins came a lot faster. I was able to finish the round a lot faster because I'm that guy that always sits around and draws. And I hate that. Drawing is the equivalent of losing for me because I just like, yes. I didn't get anywhere. I didn't learn anything. I didn't I didn't get an intention, right? Yes. So, so that's been really interesting for me. And I even feel like sometimes for myself, uh, when I lose, I learn more. <laughs> so I'm like, if I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose the right way. I'm going to go out swinging. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, so true. So true. Yeah. You were mentioning that uh, when you go to events with a more carefree attitude and you do better. That really resonates because recently we've had several guests mention the same thing that, uh, not that you don't care because obviously you're not going to go to a competitive event, uh, especially a grand prix where you have to travel and pay or any of that without mm-hmm. caring and without wanting to win. But, uh, they have mentioned the exact same thing that when they go to an event like super gung ho and really trying hard, uh, they don't do as well as those times that, you know, uh, you know, I'm just going to go to this grand prix and, um, they're just a little more, again, not casual about it because you don't care, but uh, a little more, you know, carefree, I guess. And, uh, and they just seem to do better. And so, uh, I, I love that thought process and I'm very curious too, like what is, you know, the magic flow state and how can we get in it? You know, how, how, how can you, cause if you actively think, Oh, I don't care. I'm trying to trick myself into not caring. Like it, you do care, you know? And so I don't know how to get that balance where, uh, you legitimately just show up to, you know, have fun and, and not, aren't too worried about it. And so, uh, that's cool that you have experienced something similar because, uh, it seems like it's, 
I was very interested when I heard that because uh, it seems like it's something that that is a commonality between uh, people who have you know been to events. Yeah, I kind of liken it to riding a wave. You don't have to tell yourself, I'm on this wave, and you have to tell yourself, forward, forward. It's just there. You're either on the wave or you're not. You either fall off or you don't fall off. And a lot of it has to do with even kind of like mindfulness practice, like meditation and things like that. It's like you're either present or you're not. And one thing that I've been thinking about is, you know, if I'm at an event and, you know, obviously everyone pays their entry fee so and everyone wants to win. So everyone has stakes, right? right? Everyone right. is there for a particular reason. And I said to myself, well, it doesn't really matter if I I win or lose, if I'm learning something to get better, eventually I'm going to win everything like LSV or John Finkel, you know, like eventually you're just going to win everything. But there has to be a learning process. There has to be this journey. So I say to myself, well, I want to learn. I don't want to get salty about it. I want to be present enough to learn. All my friends are here. I want to have a good time with them too. And that takes a kind of mindset and that takes a certain state of mind to be like in that flow state. So I was just like, yeah, maybe let's not bring anything, right? And sometimes that's great because I just sit down and I play and that's a lot of fun. And other times I'm like, no, I, I, I'm playing I'm playing green white tokens. I, I really need these tokens right now. It's going to get pretty messy or it would be great to have these zombie tokens for my Liliana. Like, you know, sometimes yeah. it, it does really matter. It's not about not not caring, because of course we all care. And it's also not about tricking ourselves to not care. It's about coming in and being like, okay, there's nothing to worry about. We're here to execute the plan, which is play this deck in this way and be mindful of these things. And I think that that is, that is the most uh, wonderful because it, it allows ourselves to contribute to kind of like this, this thinking process, right? Because magic is such a heavily thinking game. Like, and being yes. in your head is like the worst thing <laughs> sometimes. Is like, it makes us stressed. It makes us anxious. It makes us, yes. you know, screw up. You know, these self-fulfilling prophecies of doom, you know, all of that <laughs> yep. happens when we get yep. into our heads. And it's a very interesting practice. I also find that magic players are pretty smart. They're pretty brainy. Like we know how to meta game and we know how to do all these things and think about the matchups and think about the larger meta game and what's trending online and net decking and all. There's so much information out there, right? So right, right. Uh, I find that it's it's very important sometimes to just be able to step out for a moment just to just to get out of our heads i totally agree couldn't agree more that's so true and a lot of that even goes with practice sean do you have a practice routine that you have learned from pros or you encourage your listeners and prodigies to try practicing yeah so play every day like several several pros have said that to, to some capacity you don't need to sit down and do like a five round you know whatever every single day but like even if you just do like one draft you know game right or, or match right um something right because uh, now with draft leads you can do that uh that's one thing that i think is important is to stay in magic uh so at the very least read articles or watch a video or something a lot of the pros have said that you know they keep magic in their minds by doing some of these different things you know thinking about a deck and theory crafting or whatever and uh, obviously there's no substitute for actually you know playing and so if you are able to you know play every day at the very least go to an event uh, once a week, you know, pick Friday Night Magic or or Wednesday Night Modern or whatever it is in your area. And if you can regularly go, th that keeps you in it. That keeps you around people who are talking about magic and, and they want to do well. And it, you form connections in your local community. And that's the group that you go to, you know, PPTQs or Grand Prix with. And, and that's kind of how you start you know, building that network and playing whatnot. And, you know, every now and again, you can just sit back and do a cube or EDH, whatever you want to have fun. But, you know, doing something intentional with magic, preferably every day, but at least every week, I think is, uh, is you know, a really good prep tool on a, you know, you, something you can do on a regular basis. 
I like what you said, Sean, about having that intention to do something every single day, whatever it may be. And you're right, you don't have to sit down for a whole five rounds or anything like that. But it just kind of keeps that mental clarity and just keeping that sharp, those skill sets. Yeah, totally. Sean, do you have any advice for the listening audience about how to manage our lives in terms of costs? You know, cards are sometimes expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So the best thing I can think of as far as uh, cards go is by going regularly to your local events, whatnot, and making connections, you will then be able to borrow cards, right? If you are, if you prove yourself to be a trustworthy person and, and, you know, you're making good friends at the stores and whatnot, uh, then it's perfectly, you know, within the realm of reason that you and your magic buddies will say, Hey, we're going to this event. I need two of this and one of that. Do you have it? And you borrow it and then you use it, you give it back. And obviously, um, if your friend needs something, then you lend it to them. And the first time, you got to make sure that you give them back in good condition because otherwise they'll never lend to you again. But that <laughs> that's the easiest way to deal with the the cost thing because you're right. Uh, and that's something that I'm also very cognizant of is the price point on Magic. And some people don't have you know the ability to just drop the newest deck every single time, drop the money for the newest deck every single time. Um, so that's where you can start um, is just borrowing from friends. Then the next step up is, you know, uh, there's actually a service. I'm not affiliated with them or anything like that, but there's Spare Deck, right? Where you can rent cards. You can oh, rent yeah, cards that's right. and rent decks. Um, so that's a, that's a, I love seeing people try and address the magic space in different angles. And that's one that's really cool. Um, and then some people I know have a really good relationship with their store, uh, whether they're officially sponsored or not. Um, and they're able to borrow cards from the store. And that's awesome. Uh, that, that falls into the realm of, you know, borrowing again, but, you know, it's building relationship with, uh, with your store. Um, and so, and then obviously the, the tier after that is, you know, buying it, you know, saving up, saving up your money and, and buying it or trading, you know, being really aggressive as far as that goes. Um, but if you have limited money, let's say only enough to, you know, pay entry fees to events or whatever, then you're definitely going to want to build a network of, and, in my experience, there's usually somebody in your area. So, you know, you might have a couple of stores in your area if you're lucky, right? And somebody at one of those stores is usually the magic player who buys, you know, two or three boxes, you know, uh, per, uh, you know, per set. Um, there's a friend of mine back in California, sometimes he would buy a case, you know, which is, I don't even know how many boxes. So, like, so he would always have the stuff right now you don't want to abuse that relationship right you need to bring something to the table you can't just always be the mutual of the group or whatever um so find what you can do whether it's organizing the group um providing a, a consistent schedule or play testing area and you know finding an lgs or offering your your flat or whatever do something where you can contribute so you're not always just taking 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 from the relationship but my point is, there's magic players of all levels. If you're not at the level where you're buying all the cards, you know somebody in your area probably is, and so you can form groups and you can share that way. And that's that's how I would address the card availability issue. Yeah, you know, Sean, one thing that's interesting is that like getting good at magic is either a mini game or a meta game of its own. Yeah, because you if you just show up and you're like, well, I'm going to buy all the top tier gauntlet decks, you're just like, okay, well, you just you're just you're out like three grand like right there, right? Right. And so it's like, how do you get the cards to get good? And oftentimes, what I find is that knowledge and skill set and expertise that is priceless and never goes away. And so mm -hmm. one thing is that you know, for very, very new players, and we're talking, you know, wherever you are in the age range, wherever you are in your experience levels, or however much experience you do have, or if you do have a dream of uh, getting on the pro tour one day, but you don't have $800 a week to change up things, well, then <laughs> yeah. how about 
just 15 and you go to your local LGS and you just draft, right? And you yes. just draft, draft, draft. Because limited is a very challenging format. It's phenomenal with the fundamentals of magic. And also limited, if you're playing, uh, you know, newish standard limited, you're always looking over and over and over again at what the standard cards are. Now, if you do draft a bomb rare that, of course, has to match in your limited deck, then great. You just saved yourself, you know, 10, 20, 30 dollars, depending on what card it is. And if you do get good to a point where you're able to get prizes and uh, get start credit, well, then guess what? You just leveled up. You're at that uh, level to be able to finally get what you need. And of course, you can trade things out for what you don't need. And then here's another really interesting thing, Sean. Um, So one of my previous guests, his name is Josh Monks. He is in the Seattle area, <laughs> regarded as one of the one of the better players. And, and, and this is a funny quirk about Josh. He doesn't own any cards. He doesn't have any decks. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? You're always playing the most interesting decks. And that's just because he's borrowing them and he plays every wow. single format i think maybe just a tiny bit of standard i think he, he mostly plays legacy a little bit of vintage modern cube he doesn't i'm not sure if he drafts or not but just a little bit of standard but he just always borrows the decks and of course he has a great rapport he also does a lot of casting on card kingdoms uh, stream and things like that but he's just incredibly knowledgeable and you know we got to talking and he was like you know well the main reason why i've gotten so knowledgeable is because i don't own any cards and i just play every single deck and play whatever anyone's able to give me. And he also just gets this huge mixed match of all these different matchups that come up from his opponent and also whatever deck he's borrowing. So he's just gained a tremendous amount of knowledge. And in the area, he's, he's regarded as one of the one of the most dangerous sleepers out there because he's so good. It's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that is really cool. And I, I love, yeah, I love that point that you made. I totally agree. That's another way to come in is if you you know, have enough to draft every week, go and do it. And then you can slowly start accruing your cards, either ones that you need or ones that you can trade or trade in. And then, like you said, once you start doing well and getting store credit, that, you know, that's a big deal. Just always trade it in for store credit so you can, you know, buy what you need. I love it. Yeah, and if you are doing well consistently, you know, whoever you bought that deck from, you know, pick up a single or get them a booster pack or, you know, th- th- things like that are always really appreciated in the community when you when you share and reciprocate. So Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's fantastic. Sean, I've got some rapid fire questions that I ask all of my guests. Are you ready? Yeah, fire away. Okay, wonderful. Rapid fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what is your favorite color and why? White. Uh, Because reasons. Um, White came to mind uh, because... I really like angels uh, a lot. Um, let's see, one of my favorite cards is Bane Slayer Angel. I, I just, I just thought, I think that card's amazing. My favorite art of all time is Spectral Ward, which mm-hmm. is a unfortunately unplayable aura, but still the <laughs> art is is the best. It's just amazing. Um, let's see, Path to Exile comes to mind. Um, especially like the uh, the promo art on that as well. Uh, yeah, so white comes to mind. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite, but right now it is up there. So we'll say white. Do you have a color combo that you like to either enemy or ally that you often pair with white or a shard that you like particularly? Um, so I love I love Abzan. So I'm building an Abzan modern deck myself. Uh, my first modern deck was Bogles, and uh, it was very linear. Uh, it does not have a lot of interaction with my opponent, which I do not like. Mm. Uh, but I love the idea of a toolbox deck where I can you know, tutor up and answer at instant speed. That's always nice, right? Um, and, and I feel that Abzan, the colors are very versatile, you know, with white and black and green. You have a lot of um, threats and a lot of answers. And just depending on the meta, I should be able to, you know, shift 
the pieces to, you know, something that is uh, playable as long as the base is there. Um, and, you know, when I was shifting over, I was like, oh, you know, white, green, black, I already have the green and white uh, land base. Uh, it turns out that the black and green part is, you know, some of the more expensive ones, but <laughs> that's all right because we have Modern Masters 2017 coming out. I should be able to get those enemy fetches finally, but, uh, <laughs> uh, or rather, yeah, the white, black ones. Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, so right now I would say, I would say Abzan. So I would pair, I would pair green and black with white. Very cool. Sean, rapid fire question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? Oh, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't have a... I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, I don't know. Like, uh, r- rarely, rarely do I have the mindset of, as far as magic goes, I, I think about how to improve other things all the time. But magic, I'm just like, oh, this is so amazing. <laughs> I guess I, I guess I'm still on the honeymoon with magic. That, uh, <laughs> every now and again, there's nothing that's coming to mind now, just because, you know, not, not to say that there's nothing that I wouldn't change, but right now I, th- I think it's great. So <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I do think it's pretty great, especially with Modern Masters 2017 coming out. A lot of people have also talked about reprints, and bam, we got a lot of great reprints. We so. sure did. I know what I'd change. I would change the rate at which I pull masterpieces because I. <laughs> Yeah, I love masterpieces and I would like them all. So <laughs> Yeah, that's right. We all need to be changing the rate at which we pull foiled mythics, right? <laughs> yes, yes. That's amazing. Okay, fantastic. Sean, question number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? Uh, the number one thing, the number one single on the list. How about that? I would love to, I would love to do, give them that. Because that's something tangible and they'll be like, oh, this is amazing. Sean's the best person in the world. Uh, as far as intangibles go, uh, I would love to give people knowledge. You know, I would love to give them the understanding that just because they, I want to give them the understanding of separating their results from their from their personal like self-worth, right? Just because you lose, does that mean you're a bad magic player? Does that mean you're a bad person, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's like we talked about, like it's part of the game. Yes, there are lessons to be learned and you do need to have an analytical and a critical eye and see what you could have done better uh, and improve from there. But it doesn't mean that you're you know, terrible or that you shouldn't be in this game or that it's not for you, you know? Um, so separating results from uh, self-worth, I think would be something I would like to give everybody. Fantastic. Question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? Uh, mummies and Egyptian-themed stuff. Mm-hmm. I see that. No, uh, I see they're soft-launching the team, the Pro Tour like team series this year, mm-hmm. um, which has brought in, you know, like, uh, I got the email, like, I'm, I'm on Mass Drop. Um, I've gotten some stuff on there, and I got the email one day saying, ah, oh, team east west mass drop or whatever it was and i was like oh my gosh like that is crazy and super cool you know i think that's that, that's neat that they're bringing in that and so um i see more of that i see more refined and developed i guess third party sponsors coming in which means you know the more money that comes into magic through whatever avenues the more they can do you know with it uh the more that they'll be able to increase the quality of coverage uh the more that they'll be able to, the more people will be able to make a living in and around the magic space, which also increases the people's, you know, understanding and, and level, level understanding with the game. And so, uh, I see that coming down the line, uh, more refined, more intentional, um, you know, third party, uh, relationships with magic. Got it. Got it. And last, Sean, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience, like where they can find you on social media? You can find the podcast at mtgprotutor.com. Uh, you also can just you know download it on or subscribe to it on iTunes and Stitcher, all that good stuff. 
I'm working on a brand new like deck building masterclass. Unfortunately, it's uh, putting together right now, so I don't have the cool URL for that. But if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Sean Penrod, or join the Facebook group, mtgprotutor.com forward slash Facebook group. You can go there. Anywhere that you connect with the brand, you'll definitely be able to get in on that uh, and be able to figure out when that's coming out. Basically, I'm partnering up with some awesome deck builders, and we're going to be doing, like I said, a masterclass going over how to build decks, how to analyze the meta, and deciding what to build. Uh, obviously, the principles are evergreen, even though the cards and whatnot will be you know, current. Um, but that is, that's the ask that I would have. It would be connect with me on social media and join the Facebook group um, so that you can get in on the deck building masterclass. That's great, Sean. And for all the listeners out there, all the links will be at the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. I really like what you said there, Sean, about, you know, like, you know, the principles will be evergreen. And then, you know, I really wanted to acknowledge you, Sean, because I really look at everything that you're doing and you want to make magic more fun, more accessible. You want people to enjoy the game and you want people to enjoy the game from a level that they can accomplish something and really take something away rather than just, you know, sitting around losing all the time, which again, losing is not a bad thing, but there's, there's a feeling of accomplishment in in making progress. And so you've been very courageous in putting yourself out there saying, I'm going to meet a goal of putting a thousand people to qualify for the Pro Tour. And you've made a commitment. I mean, you have a really grueling release pace. You release like two episodes a week and you interview all of these people. And it's very significant. I've benefited from the content. I know countless people have also benefited from the content. And uh, I really wanted to thank you. You are just a really great person to have in the community. My pleasure. Thank you. I really appreciate it. That was a lot of fun. And do you have any like parting words for the audience? Anything that you can kind of leave them on? Or? Well, you can't win every time. You can learn every time. And that's been one of the big tenets of the MTG Pro Tutor podcast. And uh, I love that message and I love sharing it because it's so true. Uh, and there's layers within that, uh, like everything in magic. But the parting piece of guidance I would leave is that you can't win every time, but you can learn every time. Well, I hope you enjoyed my interview with Sean Penrod. Check out the MTG Pro Tutor podcast. It's at mtgprotutor.com. And of course, wherever you get podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, things like that, as well as on mtgcast.com. Sean releases two episodes a week, which is amazing. So there's plenty for you to listen to. Show notes for each of Sean's interviews are at mtgprotutor.com. And be sure to check out the MTG Pro Tutor Facebook page and connect with Sean on Twitter at Sean Penrod. That's at S-H-A-U-N-P-E-N-R-O-D. We'll have all the links and more at kitchentablemagic.org. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Paragon City Games. They care deeply about contributing to the magic community. So here's some things that they're doing to make a difference. Paragon City Games has been awarding travel vouchers worth hundreds of dollars to the winners of their Grand Prix trials for upcoming GP Vegas. And they also have a recording studio in their game store, and they have been inviting creators and podcasters and streamers to use that space to create content. No jokes, it's furnished with over $3,000 worth of equipment. I feel that actions speak louder than words, and Paragon City Games is going out of their way to show their local community and the greater magic community that they care a lot about creating a great space for people to hang out, play magic, and create content. They're also going to be streaming Legacy every Tuesday night at 7pm Mountain, which is 9pm Eastern and 6pm Pacific Time. Every Friday, they've got FNM Modern and Standard Action. Please be sure to check them out on twitch.tv slash Paragon City Games. 
Also, courtesy of Paragon City Games, there's going to be a giveaway. We're giving away Die Hard Metal Dice, the RPG set in raw steel that's dark gray with red accent numbers. They look amazing, and I'm going to have some photos at kitchentablemagic.org. To enter the giveaway is very simple. Tell me what you think an up-and-coming game store like Paragon City Games should do to support their local Magic players. I'm going to have a giveaway post at facebook.com slash kitchentablemagicpodcast where you can enter by commenting with your ideas. Write us your thoughts, long or short, just tell us what you think. I'll read a few of them on air in the next episode and announce the winner. Please go like their Facebook page, facebook.com slash paragoncitygames, and also follow their Twitch stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. We'll be choosing an entry at random. This giveaway ends Friday, March 24th at noon Pacific Standard Time. I want to thank my new Patreon supporter, Alexander. Wow, thanks so much, Alexander, for your generosity. You're also going to be getting a bag of those magical fish crackers. Up until this point, I feel like I've just been broadcasting out into the ocean that is the internet. I'm not sure exactly how many of you are out there listening to this, but I know that Kitchen Table Magic fills up an important space in the magic community. My guests and I are bringing you never-before-told stories, memories from the past, meaningful insight about this game that we all love. And there is a connectedness that's being created between me, the guests, and you, the listener, through this medium of a podcast. Every week, I put my heart into kitchen table magic, so it means the world to me if I get a message, email, post, share, favorite, or like, and especially support on patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. And if you're listening and you think you can spare 25 cents a week, head on over to patreon.com slash kitchen table magic and click become a patron. You can support the show with one, three, or six dollars a month. At the one dollar level, that's only 25 cents an episode. Thank you everyone for your support and I hope to see you on Patreon. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. So I think the core of all these different areas is how do I take a high concept idea and make it real to people? And so that's the same between cosplay, technology, or making creative for magic itself. So you have to start out and you think of like, what is the best and the most exciting idea for my audience? And what is it that I'm trying to give them? What are they looking for? And then build out steps to say like, okay, well, how am I going to create this thing over time trying to figure out like, okay, well, how do I get closer to my goal? Let me iterate on it. Let me check and make sure that it is actually hitting for people. So it's it's a lot of just going through that same kind of creative process no matter what area that belongs to. I'm talking to creative writer and world builder Mel Lee. Mel recently left the creative magic team to join Riot. I caught up with Mel right before she left for LA. She shares with us her creative process, building stories and worlds for Magic the Gathering. And get on your Vorthos hats, people. We talk lore. Mel gives us a scoop on where we are currently in the Magic timeline just after Aether Revolt. And what's been going on with all this Eldrazi, Gatewatch, Tezzeret, Nicol, Bolas drama. Don't worry, wizards. Mel didn't reveal anything that she wasn't supposed to say. Trust me, I tried. Join me as I interview Mel Lee, all on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. Okay.